0: I am so excited to share this message with you, and I want to be completely candid and honest right as we get started. First of all, welcome to Church Home. Again, if you didn't hear Carla and I welcome you, you just joined us. We're so glad you're here. My name's Judah, along with my wife, Chelsea. Uh, We've been leading Church Home now for several, several years. We are a church that is passionate about you experiencing the love of God, the goodness of God. In your home, with your loved ones, neighbors, and friends, church home, church at home, here we are. Thank you for joining us. Now, the message I'm about to share, the sermon I'm about to share, the talk I'm about to share, um, came from the last couple of weeks of being back on social media. Um, and so I'm excited to share with you. It has spoken to me. I took a few days off my phone. I literally feel like a better man. I feel like a different man. I feel like the best version of myself. So I want to share a little bit of insight I got from the Scripture uh, in regards to what we are all facing together in this global pandemic, uh, COVID-19. Here we are. uh, We are social distancing. We are sheltering in place. All these terms. Think about this. We didn't even talking these terms ever before until right now, 2020. Um, It is is beyond description at this point, isn't it? But anyways, jump in with me. We're going to go to 1 Timothy and chapter 6. If you have a Bible, great. If you don't, it's going to come up on the screen so that you can join me and read along. And here's my subject title today, Sunday Church Home. Here it is. When you feel like you're losing, what do you do when you feel like you're losing. Do you feel like you're losing ground? Do you feel like you're not your best self? Do you feel like your business is struggling during this epidemic? Do you you, you feel like your relationships are suffering during this pandemic? Um, Do you feel like you're going to, when things get back to a semblance of what they once were, do you have this sensation that you're gonna have a pile of things, a list of things to try to catch up on? What do you do when you feel like you're losing? Go with me to 1 Timothy and chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading right at the end of verse 2. It says this, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the healing words of Jesus and the teaching that accords with godliness, that person, that teacher, that preacher is is polled or puffed up, I should say, with conceit, understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness will be a way to make a quick buck, to make money. Listen to this verse now. I think it is so appropriate and so concentrated right now in what we are collectively and globally facing together in this pandemic. It says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. In fact, maybe you've heard that phrase before. You're not real familiar with scripture, but you've heard that phrase. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Fascinating statement. It goes on now. We brought nothing into the world. We're going to take nothing when we leave this world. But if we have food and clothing, we're going to be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, snare, many senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice the scripture does not say money is the root of all kinds. It's the love of money. That's the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. What do you do when you feel like you're losing? Nobody wants to lose in life. When you feel like you're falling behind, when you feel like you're giving up ground in life, in career, in your relationships, in your emotions, what do you do when you feel like you're losing? That's where we're going to go. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for these minutes and these moments. God, without you, this is going to be incredibly average and ordinary. But if you're actively involved in in the telling of your story, I thank you. It will produce perspective change and life change. So we ask this. We welcome this. We thank you for your grace, your strength, and your love. Lord, for every single person watching right now in this very moment, I pray you would be closer to them, more apparent, to this individual than you have ever been before. Show him your love and your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, yesterday for me personally was not an easy day. I wish it was not an easy day for um, a reasonable reason or for a logical reason or a good reason. But the truth is, yesterday was a hard day because my wife made one observation of my frame or my body or more specifically, my biceps, okay? Now, I'm not gonna stand here in front of church home. I don't have the biceps of Pastor Stephen Furtick. I don't have the biceps of Pastor Craig Grishel. And I certainly don't have the biceps of Pastor Carl Lentz. Now, if you don't know who any of those men are, that's fantastic. No, i kidding. <laughs> those are some of my pastor friends and they work out a lot. Now, working out for me, um, is a great concept. It's just not something that I practice on a regular basis. Now, I walk, I work out spiritually, right? But I haven't been, this quarantine's not been like, oh, I'm gonna do a bunch of push-ups. Now, my 15-year-old, he's been doing, he's, he's dropping and doing 10 push-ups constantly throughout the day. He's doing two, 300 push-ups a day. I'm super proud of him. And of course, about six weeks ago, I committed to do them with him. It's just slipped my mind, okay? So the point is this. I'm not working out during this quarantine. And I hope neither are you. Like, I say that, you know, to make myself feel better. I'm definitely the friend. You don't want me as a friend. Because I'm the friend who's like, ah, I don't work out today. Come on, let's go hang out. Let's go to a cafe. Let's have a coffee. It'll be great, right? I'm always that to Chelsea. I'm like, babe, come on, you don't need to do yoga. We need to connect. Let's just go for a walk and just talk about our love, you know. So not great at working out. True story. And I quote, yesterday, my wife of 20 years starts like this you know, babe, you, you honestly look so good for not working out. So then you kind of you take that compliment. You're like, okay, I don't look as good as I should or could, but considering I don't do anything to work out, she's saying I look good. So you take that compliment. You, know, you guys, you know what I'm talking about when your spouse is like, yeah, you look good for not actually t- trying. And so I kind of turned to her and I go, ah, yeah, hey, thanks. We were sitting outside trying to get some sun. And I'm like, ah, Thanks had my shirt off. I don't want to get into the details. Um, and she goes, you know, babe. And it was that tone. It was that tone. I'm telling you, church, if you've been married, you know what I'm talking about. You know, babe, babe, you know that, babe, right? It's not a resolve. It's a, babe, right? And you know what's about to come. you got to prepare yourself. 20 years of marriage, still not great with confrontation. Okay, here it comes. She goes, you know, babe, um, your arms. I go, what about my arms? She goes, they're looking a little, uh, a little skinnier than normal. And I went, what? What are you talking about? She's like, you know, typically your arms just look toned and great, but they just look a little skinny. I, You know, maybe, she doesn't know I'm telling you this story, Right by the way. Maybe you should start doing a little more push-ups. And I quote, you know, you could, could join Zion when he's doing the push-ups, and here I am. I'm 41 years old. Trying to shelter in place, ladies and gentlemen. Just trying to be a good quarantine buddy, right? A good quarantine spouse. That's my goal for life right now, to be a spouse that's good in the quarantine, right? And I am told that my muscle mass is losing ground due to this quarantine. It's losing ground. So, um... Have I done push-ups since that confrontation? Certainly, am I I am planning on it, yes. I am going to do some push-ups. Is there something in your life that this quarantine has you feeling like you're losing ground? Is something atrophied in your life? Are you looking around after a few weeks? The first week, you can't tell, but two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. I had somebody say, from a distance today, I saw them, a friend, out and about, was walking, and they said, you look pretty skinny for quarantine. I'm like, that's where we're at now. It's like, whoa, you actually haven't been, the rest of us are gaining weight, right? What do you feel like is losing ground? Is it your fitness? Is it your passion? Is it your morals? Is it your finances? Is it your words? Is it just your overall care and concern for your family? Is it how you see your spouse? Where are you? And if you're normal, like me, what you're feeling right now is a sense of loss to an extent. Amazing how many people just on Instagram Live or talking online or texting with friends, how many of us right now are feeling like we're not doing enough? I'm sure you've heard the fodder. You've heard some of the, some of the comments online. But so many of these uh, messages, the, the messaging and the storytelling we're hearing online is, hey, uh, learn a new language during the quarantine. Um, uh, paint a new painting. Learn a new trade. Teach yourself to piano. Learn a new language, right? And I'm like, I'm trying to stay married. That's my goal for quarantine, right? Like, I'm trying to not eat my young. I mean, I'm trying to parent well, right? But there's these aspirational, if you heard these things, during the quarantine, become the person you've always wanted to become. And I think for the rest of the world, we're kind of like, cool, I'm actually just making sure I get through this day, right? I'm actually, as I'm the PE teacher, the principal, the food service and the janitorial service, I'm just really looking forward to when my kids go to bed tonight. Like is that, can anyone relate? Like how, what do you do in a quarantine When you feel like you're losing ground, the truth is, it doesn't take a a global pandemic to make us feel like sometimes we are just simply not keeping up with the Joneses. We're not just keep; we're, we're just not keeping up. I know when I go on Instagram and I look at so much, so much stuff going on, you feel like, "Am I doing enough? Am I helping enough? Am I giving enough? Am I supporting charities enough? Am I aware enough?" Have I prayed for frontline workers enough? Have I donated enough? Have I done? And this is just for other people, let alone what you feel like you should do for you. Are your biceps getting smaller? Welcome to the club. Right now, so many of us feel like we're losing ground. What do you do when you feel like you're losing? I thought about titling this sermon, Gaining Ground. Thought about titling this sermon, How to Get Ahead. What do you do when you feel like all around you, you feel like things are getting less and you're losing? I'm having fun and I'm making jokes, biceps, and funny comments from your spouse. But the reality is there are so many people right now who are actually literally wondering what will they do for income right now and certainly when this is said and done? What will they do? You feel like you're losing in life. I would like to show you in the next 10 or 15 minutes, I'd like to show you a portion of scripture that will outline and point us to a way that we can be sure that we are experiencing growth, we're gaining ground, and we're actually truly wealthy. And we'll talk about that word, in a moment. What do you do when you feel like you're losing ground? Here comes this famous passage of scripture. If you hung out with Christians at all lately, maybe the scripture's come up. It's come up a few times, even online talking to people. Godliness with contentment is how you get ahead in life, right? Right? That's a pretty amazing statement. What you need is godliness, and what you need is contentment, and that'll equal you getting ahead. You'll get ahead relationally. You'll get ahead socially. You'll get ahead, more specifically, emotionally. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, us Christians, for those of you that are Christians and Jesus followers and Jesus worshipers, you know that we are kind of historically well-known for cliche, potent statements that oftentimes we don't explain. Godliness with contentment is great game. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, you hear the word godly, and you're like, long skirts, make your own bread, homeschool your kids, and hope for Jesus to come home, right? It's like Jesus to return, right? It's godly. Godly is look like God, be moral, be amazing and so godliness with contentment. okay it, it, it means that I need to act godly, be godly, think godly, speak godly, you know I got to be kind, considerate, loving, selfless emotion. you know I got to be godly and then on top of that I need to be present, I need to be content, I need to be at peace and that'll give me great gain. So here we go again. We turn this we turn this uh, endeavor into something that we do on our own. I'd like to show you from this passage, as Timothy is being written to from the Apostle Paul, that Paul is telling Timothy there is a completely different way to function. So when practically or financially or relationally or emotionally you feel like you are losing ground, there is a sure way to gain ground in this life. Godliness with contentment is great game. I want to define for you the word godliness. That's what's going to be important for us to properly understand that I'd like to show you that godliness will produce for you a contentment that you and I crave. Now, I've told you this a couple weeks ago, my knee started, last week, my knee starts to shake, and Chelsea knows in our marriage, the knee's shaking, you're, you, you got, you're, you're antsy, you feel like you got to go do something, you got to get out, you, gotta, hey, you need to, right? All of us are proverbial, the knee is shaking, and we're like, man, can I find peace? Can I find ease? Can I find contentment? How do I find it? And if you're like me, I crave contentment through conditions, conditional contentment. That's the norm in our world right? If things, if the conditions are ideal, I will have a sense of ease. If everything's in place and everything's in order, I'll have contentment. Well, by definition, if that's our definition of contentment, that's our criteria for contentment, then none of us will be able to be content, content during this pandemic, because there are things that are not in their proper place. There are things that are not right and not healthy, and not the way they should be. We are in An emergency. How do you find contentment in a storm? How do you find contentment in an emergency? How do you find contentment in a pandemic? How do you find contentment when your business is all but gone? How do you find contentment when you feel like when this is all said and done, you may not have the same friends, you may not have the same perspective, and you might not have the same ways and avenues of income? How do you find contentment? Paul says to Timothy, the key is godliness. The key is godliness. What does it mean to be godly? I want you to see it like this. Godliness is to be godly, God-word, God-towards. Godliness is defined like this. Number one, God-awareness. It's just to be aware God is big. This is his planet. This is his world. This is his story, he's the focus, he's the center, he's the most important. Now whether or not you and I believe that, that is the universal fact. I didn't make this world, you didn't make this world, God made this world, he set it in motion and he set in the sky and the sea and the dirt and the mountains and the animals and the lakes and the rivers and the hills and the ants and the rhinos and the lions, and the giraffes, and the trees. It's all his. It's all his. Godliness. God awareness. And godliness is also defined as a holy awe. In other words, you're suddenly aware of God, and then you start to take inventory of his creation. You start to take inventory of his architecture, and you start to go, wow. Have you ever been to a dramatic, extraordinary cathedral in in Europe, for instance, and you stand at the base of this cathedral and you think to yourself, how could any architect think this up? How many years did it take to build it? That's man-made stuff, let alone God-made. You ever looked at animals? You ever looked at mountains? We just celebrated a few days ago Earth Day. Earth Day is our day. For those of us that worship Jesus and follow the Creator, it's art. It's a celebration of the architecture of our Creator, and we are celebrating Earth. God loves this planet. I love this planet. It speaks of His magnitude and His majesty and His glory. The Grand Canyon is supposed to make us feel God is grand. When you sit, in the sand, and you look at an ocean that seems to have no end to it. It's supposed to speak to us. The Bible uses uh, creation as an example. It says as far as the east is from the west, so he separated us from our sins. It talks about how God takes our sins and puts them in an ocean of forgetfulness. All these things tell us his glory. Godliness is an awe of God. It's this, wow, God thing, can I just share? He said, Judah, I don't know how to get that awe. I don't know how to be more aware of God. I want to say this. God awareness comes from God. It comes from God. Do you know you can pray the simplest prayer right now? God, make me aware of you. And he'll hear that. And he'll answer that prayer. Isn't it amazing what we have in Christian communities? The practices that have proliferated and we have promoted, we don't talk about the Christian practice of solitude and silence and listening, listening to creation, listening to birds, listening to the wind, listening to the ocean, just stillness, solitude. Oh, oh, this is, you go back in church history, these were paramount practices in worship, Godliness? Godliness is not the clothes you wear and the cuss words you stopped using. That's wonderful. Highly recommend all of those things. It's not the fact that you don't go over 55 on the freeway. I and mean, that's a wonderful, admirable thing. But godliness is a God awareness. It's a God awareness. Godliness plus contentment is great gang. Now, I want to urge you to look up 2 Timothy and, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 6, particularly verse 6. Look it up in the Amplified. Look it up in the Passion Translation. Look it up in the Message Bible. Look it up in the New Living, all these different translations. For those of you that are aware of this, if you're overwhelmed by that, download the Bible app. It has it all there for you. And you could look at the different versions because it helps you understand the original Greek that this was in, original language. Here's what's being said. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's saying, listen, here's how to get ahead. Here's how to ensure you're gaining ground in life. And he starts using words like wealth, which speak more to material things and possessions, and he speaks to that. He says, godliness plus contentment will help you gain ground in this life. You'll make progress. You'll grow. Learning another language is great. Teaching yourself the piano is awesome. And I urge you to do whatever it is in your heart to do during this solitude, during this unusual global challenge that we find ourselves in. What about experiencing great gain in your life? You know how to do that? Godliness and contentment will bring you incredible wealth in your soul, and at the core of your being. Do you know what contentment is? Contentment is the result of a God awe, God awareness. What's godliness? Awareness and awe, awareness and awe. Wow, God's big, wow, God's amazing. And then here comes this peace and this stillness, in and on you that comes from the sufficiency of God, for instance. What do we mean by that? Well, look at the few verses before. Paul says to Timothy. Timothy was a preacher. He was a teacher. He says, teach and urge these things. Teach and urge these things. Teach and urge these things. Preach on this. Pastors, preachers, anybody watching, I want to urge you, here's what Paul says to preach on. Here's what Paul says to emphasize. Boy, Timothy was going through storms. Paul had been through some storms. He says, teach and urge these things. And he says, in fact, if anybody teaches and urges something else that is different than the healing words of Jesus, now listen, or teaching that accords with or promotes godliness, Hold on a second. I'm going to give you the key. God-awareness comes from God, okay? The focus of this whole book is God. The focus of the world is God. The focus of the universe is God, right? The architecture is a direct arrow to the architect. The architecture speaks of the quality. It speaks of the character of the architect. It's all about God. Paul says... What we have got to emphasize in communities of faith is the healing words of Jesus that promote God awareness and God awe. So actually what we're supposed to do in these minutes and moments when we gather is actually not to make this about you or even your problem or your plight or your challenge, although God cares about all those things, that the point is what we're to teach and to urge is the healing words of Jesus. How does the words of Jesus heal? Because the message of Jesus is only Jesus can heal our error, our wrong, our sin, our selfishness, disease, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, troublesome activities in continents and countries in the world. It all cause. It all comes from our greatest disease, and that's sin. And guess who heals sin? Guess who heals the shame that comes with sin? Guess who heals the condemnation that comes with sin? Only Jesus heals sin. Only Jesus can make you whole. Only Jesus can give you a right relationship with God. He became sin so that you and I can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All of our teaching, all of our preaching, all of our urging, all of our emphasizing needs to go towards the healing story of Jesus, which does what? it leads us to, wow, (laughs) wow, you get what you go for, church. And I'll tell you what we're going to go for at church home. We're going to go for teaching that accords with godliness. Teaching that leads you to think less about yourself and more about God. The answer is not within yourself, the answer is in God. And God will come upon you and within you and he will change your life. So here's what happens. Suddenly we get an awareness of God. We get an awe of God that's delivered by God and God will speak to us through his word and through his ways and through his creation. And you know what it results in? It results in an overwhelming sensation that I am sufficient because Jesus is enough for me. Though I am weak, though I am feeble, though I am broken, and though I err, for I am human. Jesus has made up the difference. He knew no sin so he could become sin. He died on the middle cross. He predicted that he would beat death. Three days later, he rose up again. He appeared to hundreds of followers, and then he levitated into the sky. He said, I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to be on you and in you, and when the time is right, I will come again. My brothers and sisters. This whole world is about one person and his name is Jesus for Jesus is God and you cannot know God without Jesus. How does he heal? It's free. His healing's free. That's why it's called gospel. It's called good news. It'd be average news if I told you you had to do something to get healed. That's normal. It's good because you don't have to do anything. It's already been done. You can be forgiven forever. And here comes the awe settling over your life. I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. I'm loved. I'm right with God. I'm his. And here it comes. An overwhelming sense. I wrote it down. All of a sudden, I've got an inner confidence and I've got an inner peace. One translation says this. Suddenly, because you are aware of God and you're in awe of God, you're free to be yourself with God. Be yourself with God. Be yourself with God. All of a sudden, God's amazing. God loves me. God's forgiven me. I don't have to act like something. I can be and all of a sudden here comes a confidence a contentment and the Bible says that's wealth that's wealth that's wealth that's wealth do you know what happens for the rest of the passage? would you believe that the opposite of godliness contentment which is great gain do you know what the opposite I'm I'm shocked by this I'm shocked by this the opposite is the love of money things and stuff that's the opposite I've read this over the last couple of weeks as I'm back on social media and suddenly I'm comparing and competing and wondering and reading and looking and all the inundation of information and data and am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I sharp enough? Do I know what I'm doing? I, all these events and gatherings and charities and things and I'm like, what? I'm just sitting at home. Am I, I'm just trying to make sure that I love my wife and I'm mad because she said my biceps are skinny. right? And all of a sudden you feel like well man, so many of these people are winning during this pandemic. I'm I'm losing. Oh, my brothers and sisters, it starts right here. Here's where you start to gain ground, even during social distancing and isolation. It starts right here. God, make me aware of you. Make me aware of you. That's why we go to this book, not to learn spiritual statistics or to be history buffs. We go to this book so he can awe us again so he can wow us again, wow me again. And then it dawned on me, you know what's stealing my godliness and contentment? It's the love of things and stuff. He goes on and he says, if you have food and clothing, you should be content with these. But by the way, wealth defined by Paul to Timothy, he says we brought nothing in when we were born none of us had jewelry on you weren't born with jewelry nobody was born with a rolex you were born naked with nothing and you're gonna leave with nothing so suddenly it's like what do you mean paul oh the only thing that's truly wealthy the only thing that defines wealth is what you can take with you that's it It dawned on me the last two weeks of unsettledness in my soul. Do you know what it came from? It came from me focusing and groping for things that are temporal that I believe are wealth. I got to get that. I got to get that. I got to get that. That's the key. That's success. That's perception. That's important. That's the opposite of the love of God. The love of God is an awareness of God and awe of God that leads to a confidence that comes from God and a stillness that you can be yourself. And God loves you the way you are and you're made just the way you are and you can be that. The love of money says you're not enough. You need more. You'd be happier. You'd be better. You'd be more recognized. You'd be more loved. You'd be more appreciated. You need to get more. And so we all move in to these spaces with cravings and passions. This love of money, there's no... Respecting money is fine and you should. It's the longing and the craving that you need it. That's the problem. And do you know what? And I promise I'm coming to an end. Do you know what Paul says to Timothy? He says, For the love of possessions and things and money, in other words, the obsession with stuff that is not eternal, will lead you to many sorrows. I thought, <laughs> many sorrows. Plural. I thought, that's rampant today. Are you? I'm trying to be as honest as I can. Am I the only one the last several weeks? There's been moments of deep sadness. First and foremost, for the loss of the most important thing on this planet, and that's human life. But then just a sadness for what I miss, for what I crave, what I feel like I need what gets me unsettled in the middle of the day while I'm home alone with my family, and yet I feel like I'm not enough, I'm not doing enough, I need to do this, I need to do this, and then if I get this, and if I get that, and if I get more, and then I'll, and then then it says many, many sorrows. Love of God, love of money. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says uh, both can't exist together. It's like oil and water. He said you can't love God and love money at the same time he says it like this, you'll end up loving one and despising the other. Let me say it like this. The proper order is loving God and appreciating money. Loving God is, I love who he is. Appreciating money is, appreciate what it can do for me and what it can do for others. I appreciate it. The exact opposite can happen in our life. We can love money. I love money for what it is. Just have God, oh, I appreciate God. Yeah, yeah, love oh, God's important, yeah. What do you appreciate, God? Well, I appreciate what he does. And we reverse it. You see how that happens? And suddenly it's like, you yeah, know, no, God. Oh, man, I yeah, God. Ah, yeah, I think God's great. Yeah, it's awesome. But what's my focus? What has my emotion? What has my attention? What has my affection? Things, possessions, stuff. All the things that I wasn't born with and I won't die with. Jesus says, "A sadness settles in over your life," and I think, I think to an extent, many of us have experienced that sadness. There is, a, no doubt, a, a, painful, excruciating recalibration happening to our soul, isn't there? And so Paul says, "Well, hey, 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 you don't have to be sad. You don't have to be anxious and worried and fearful and all these things, these emotions that are overwhelming. to you? Just, hey, hey, us with contentment. You'll get ahead in life." Wait, what? Yeah, just aware of God, awe of God. Look what Jesus has done. Look how he's healed you of your sin and your soul. Wow. Do you feel an ease there? Do you feel a sufficiency? I want to urge our church to practice first century, third century Christians. These these were normal practices of faith, saying, declaring, I'm right with God. I'm loved, I'm accepted. I'm his. He's proud of me. Godliness with contentment helps you feel like you're getting ahead. You know what my desire is for you? And I promise I'm coming to a close. My desire for you personally, for you, for your family, your roommates, your loved ones, your classmates, your teammates, the people that you're doing life with right now in quarantine is that you would come out of this. this. This won't last. Storms don't last. They come and they go, and this will go. We may see things differently forever for the rest of our life, but this too shall pass. Passion would be whatever happened to you in it. That when it passes, you will come out with an overwhelming sense that you've gained ground in the deepest part of your soul. See God. See him in his grandeur and his beauty and his magic and allow the confidence, allow the peace to settle in over Your life. I believe in that for you. Believe in that for your family. And I just want to reiterate one more time, just before we take some minutes to use music as a connection point. That challenge from Paul, I'm going to take very seriously as your pastor, and I want you to know that. And I've said this before to our church home, but I want to make a new commitment in this new chapter and this new era of church. I am unequivocally committed, unashamedly, I will not apologize for this, we are going to teach and urge the healing words of Jesus and everything that leads people to an awareness and an awe of him. That's what we're going to spend our time on. This will not merely be an exchange of practical, everyday tools to help you in your life. My brothers and sisters, there is mystery, there is enchantment, there is the supernatural, and there is the spiritual. And the bedrock necessity and essential of the human existence is to know I'm connected to the one who made me. That's what we're going to teach. That's what we're going to urge. And my goal for every time we get together as a church, I want to remind you is that we would conclude these moments of worship thinking far more about Jesus than thinking about ourselves. That's where the power is. That's where the gain is. That's where the wealth is. And that's where the progress is in your life. So God, this is my prayer for our whole church right here, right now on this Sunday. My prayer is make us aware Make us more aware of you and your love and your forgiveness and your goodness than a disease, than policies, procedures, news, updates, events. Show us who you are. God, use your book, use your story, use your creation, use friends, loved ones, relatives, neighbors to make us aware. May that awareness lead to an awe. And allow us to be in a place of peace and contentment. We thank you, God, for that. Supernatural. Now, if you're watching right now and you would like to become a follower of Jesus, I want to welcome you to do so. It's so exciting. It's free. He'll heal you. He's already made all he's he's, he's paid the price, he's done the work, all the provision has been available now. It's been provided by Jesus Himself. You can be healed. You can be forgiven. You can have a right relationship with God. All because of what He did, not because of what you or I do. You just receive it. If you'd like to receive this free gift of forgiveness that only comes through Jesus, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand wherever you are in the world watching this right now. Count of three. One, two, three. If that's you, slip up your hand. God, you see every single hand and you see every single soul and heart. And I thank you that forgiveness flows freely here at church home. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.